the galaxy burns. The heretic falls. And the emperor protects. Welcome, Imperial citizens, to The Emperor Protects. My name is Doug, along with my co-host, Dan. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, my friend. Yeah! And today we are uh, hobbying. I'm painting some some models up, and <laughs> we're going to be talking about probably one of the most compelling stories, I think, in uh, Warhammer 40k. Certainly enough to get meme status of uh, what everyone thinks <laughs> about um, a certain Primarch, but... We're going to be getting into that today, talking about the Thousand Suns. Now, yeah. um, let's give some big picture thoughts, okay? We're, we're kind of going book by, or I guess kind of legion by legion, kind of highlighting some of their more important books. Um, what do you think of Thousand Suns from a top level? I have a few other things in the intro, but this is our, our snapshots. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting book because it gives us a, a very unique perspective that we haven't had much of in terms of individual legions mm-hmm. I, I mean we kind of had it a little bit when we did fear no you know no no fear but this really digs down deep into the story of the thousand sons and their primarch a little bit of uh backstory uh, and i just think when we get to the one part the uh, the council of nikea piece uh, it's interesting how such a seminal event in the heresy is woven into their story. Yes. Because it essentially, if you don't read this book, you will not understand completely how devastating the emperor's choice was. And we'll talk about that in mm-hmm. detail. But I think that's another piece of it where, um, and the, the other thing is of all the legions, of all the legions, loyalist or uh you know traitor i just had the most sympathy for this legion yeah. because of what happened because they were such good they were such good space marines you yeah. know and they and they were so unique of course but they just did everything they were asked to do and they never questioned or you know it, it you yeah. couldn't ask for a loyal legion. <laughs> I know, I know. All right, all the all the uh, the questions are uh, it's complicated, and and we'll answer oh. a lot of those. I'm going to make us uh, roast over a fire and answer some of those. Like, did Magnus do anything wrong? <laughs> questions later on. So look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, right. One thing right. I wanted to say while we're still kind of working through the intro is I got some feedback uh, about or from a viewer rather. And um, they just said that they really appreciate the show and uh, think that it's a great way great. to not not skip books, but if you know there's so many of them that if you're more interested in something else, you can get the highlights, and that's that's kind of what we're trying right. to do. Good. Good. So that's great. yeah, that was Tyler. Uh, he reached out to me while I was doing a live stream, and I was like, I rarely get people who you know directly listen to that particular show. Tell me what you think, and he was very excited to chat. So. Great. That's um, wonderful. Yeah, and if you'd like to leave any feedback or ask any questions, please don't hesitate. Uh, the best place is on 2 Plus Tough, my YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, just because I'll see them and I'll, I'll get them all together. So. Yeah. Um, but Absolutely. today we are covering A Thousand Suns. And yep. the way that we decided to handle this, because this book is so massive and covers such a massive amount of time... Uh, just like literal time and also important events in the timeline. 
we're kind of just going to go through the story of the Thousand Sons, like not the book, but just literally their history. It's kind of told that way too. <laughs> and um, uh-huh. and where does our story begin, Dan? Why don't you lead us in? I've well, talked enough. Really, interestingly enough, the story begins with an ending, which I think yes. is really cool from a writing perspective. So the pages are italicized and everything. We have a uh, Marine named Azek Araman, who is the chief librarian of the Thousand Sons. And we'll talk about his speciality. Uh, but he basically is writing that he's waiting for his father, who is Magnus the Red, the Primarch of the Thousand Sons, to uh, come to his tower where he is just kind of sitting and kill him. And you're like, what? <laughs> this is just the beginning of the story. So he says he <laughs> welcomes his death. And he knows that it's no more than he deserves. Um, any kind of explanation or excuse for his actions just make no sense. Um, but he feels like he needs to record the truth of what has happened. Yes. Um, and even though he knows that the Imperium, which he once served, there's some you know, foreboding there, uh, nobody's ever going to believe it. But he decided that he needed to start somewhere in telling the story of Absolutely. the Thousand Sons. And how we arrive to where he is. And we'll talk about like why he's sitting there waiting at the end. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a, a teaser there. But it's just such a great way to start because it just creates so many questions. And you just want to get the answers by digging into the book. Yes. Yes. It's a great framing device. Uh, let me tell you. So, yeah. Yeah. You're outside the principal's office. Let me tell you how we got here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing I think we should discuss, Doug, a little bit is how the Thousand Suns are organized because it's very, very unique to Space Marine legions. This, of course, is because the Thousand Suns are essentially a legion of psychers. Yes. And that is what makes them very, very unique among the 18 uh, Space Marine legions. So um, like most chapters that or, or like most legions that are organized into chapters – but we call these chapters fellowships, and they're basically broken into uh, – there's one – there's a fifth uh, fellowship, but really four of the main ones. And they are the Corvidae, which would be like a crow, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And the Corvidae Marine Fellowship uh, is psychers who have their strong – they all have a, a base set of powers – but their strongest power is prescience. So they can kind of see the future, anticipate things. We have the pyrae, who you might imagine are pyromancers, basically. Mm-hmm. We have the pavoni, which I think is the most interesting one. They basically can affect body chemistry. So boiling blood or changing hormones or doing all kinds of things that they yeah. need to do with you know, the, the physiology of a body. And then we have the reptora who are actually the coolest because they are telekines. And one of the things that we're going to see is they have this thing in their fellowship where they just throw up these kinetic barriers. And you think about bolters, like nothing stops a bolter. Well, you can imagine like a squad of five or ten space marines shooting at these guys, and they're just kind of standing there yawning like, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the... As they the they take on just... so much more than bolters, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, agreed, right? Yeah. Um, and then the, the other piece of this is that 
after the heresy, um, they actually, because they are, they become kind of the pawns of one of the, the great chaos gods, uh, these fellowships are broken into nine cults, and each one is led by an individual named a Rahadi. So for our purposes here, that's kind of as much as we're going to discuss about that piece of it. But the four fellowships are very important because continually there's kind of this friendly competition mm-hmm. uh, you know, between the different yes. fellowships. So. Yes, and they, I mean, and they're they're structured to interlock. So, like, you always want a Corvidae to help you plan a battle. You always want a Kind Shield guy to make sure such and such doesn't happen. You know, you, it, they they're a function as a single army, but there's always that camaraderie between them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and uh, one last thing because it permeates every single book that I loved. Mm. A thing that they talk about in every single chapter of this book. Is called the enumerations. Oh yeah. And um, the way that I would describe the enumerations are essentially it's a a way of conquering your own emotions for the sake of mm. clarity because they mess around so much with the warp, which is emotion responsive, that they needed a way to communicate how they dismantle their own ego and and that kind of stuff. So. The reason I bring that up is because just as um, No No Fear brought us the Ultramarines worldview in terms of theoretical and practical, this is their worldview of how they are. We can we can solve any problem so long as we are detached enough to find the solution, and so it's already a different mm-hmm. approach, I would say, to to how you view problem solving and and your tools and your toolbox. Um, I just think that's important to highlight because it permeates every single bit of this book. They're constantly going that's, through the, that's the great, enumerations. That's um, a great thing to talk about. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. uh, let's, let's talk about Aramun's tale. Okay. So at the beginning of part of the story, we're introduced to two sets of characters, essentially. Yeah. So we've already talked about Aramon, who is Corvidae. Then we are introduced to Phosis Takar, who is a Raptora, which are the Telekines, and Hatho Mart, who is Pavoni, the mm-hmm. body chemistry guy. So these three guys are kind of a little crew that always interact. They're best friends, you can tell, comrades, that kind of thing. Again, Aramon is the chief librarian of the Thousand Sons, and each of the other captains have their own fellowships or chapters that they're mm-hmm. a member of. Uh, we also meet three members remembrancers we we know who these people are they're the the civilians that got kind of thrown into all the legions uh not so much that they liked it it just was something the emperor demanded so we have Callista eris we have camille shivani and we have lemuel gammon and lemuel's kind of interesting because he harbors some latent psychic potential and of course you know the Thousand Sons are going to take interest in that. Yes. So the the first part of the book also happens to be on a planet called Aguru, which is interesting. Um, and they've kind of affected compliance. This is the 28th Expedition Fleet, of course. So the compliance has been affected, but there's something on the planet, and they don't want to leave 
because uh, Magnus himself is there, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's this mountain. And, you know, we talked in Mechanicus about uh, Olympus Mons, which is this monstrous mountain on Mars, which makes Mount Mount Everest look like this anthill, right? Yep. Um, This thing dwarfs Olympus Mons. It is essentially just this gigantic... Uh, mountain and they're not sure it looks almost like a construct it doesn't look natural yes uh, which is kind of interesting too so they believe that it's been constructed by some material mysterious xeno race we're going to find out who that is shortly um and magnus just he he is just obsessed with this thing so much that um there's a kind of a campaign that his expedition fleet is part of uh, with Lehman Roos of the, the Space Marines, Lehman Russ. And uh, he, Russ is saying, hey, I need you to come and reinforce us. And he even sends one of his wolf lords. This guy's name is, I think, Scarsison. Mm-hmm. Um, and he arrives in person to make this demand of Magnus. But Magnus is like, uh, no. You know, he doesn't even, of course, say anything. He uses just this tiny pimple of his psychic power to kind of get this guy to quiet down. Yeah, as as we're going to pop in here and just kind of highlight some scenes from the book, this is one of my favorite because they're watching this like space wolf craft come at them, and it is like it's like parking (laughs) at Best Buy with a drop pod. Like they just like come in (laughs) millimeter close into killing everybody, and everyone's just kind of like watching them come at them, like. Are they trying to kill us? Like <laughs> everyone's very unsure, and then it comes yeah. down, oh, and yeah. he's just a total tool because Space Wolf, and uh, Matt. Um, I really like that because then Magnus puts him in his place, you know, as a, as just a subordinate Space Marine. But uh, yeah. the way he does it, like, oh yeah, this is why Magnus is in charge. He's like really really strong. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. us, the reader. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. It's just, I found it interesting, like, when we get through the story, I think you'll think back about our discussion and go, well, so they worked with the Space Wolves before. Like, yeah, of mm-hmm. course, they're both loyalist legions, you know, and it, it just, it, it seems so natural early on in the book that they would work together. Yes. Um, but just, just really, really um, kind of cool. So, uh the, the Agoru, the people on this planet, they believe that the mountain is kind of a prison or a refuge for dark spirits. That's their belief. So the Thousand Sons, of course, superstition. We don't believe in gods, you know, because we haven't done that yet. Yep. This is actually before fear no, um, no, no fear. Oh yes, uh, and um, and the local tribe tribe chieftain, he's just screaming at the Thousand Sons that their presence has actually stirred the evil ones. He's very, very worried that they're they're just angry. And talk about the story, there's these massive statues. They almost look like titans. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, at the entry to the mountain. And it's like they're looking at the design, and as they're describing it, you're going, oh, yeah, okay. I know exactly what this is yes. now. So basically, can you say Eldar? You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's basically they're Eldar Titans is what their statues of. Yeah. Uh, and you 
all of a sudden you're going, okay, like, all right. Yeah, they're walking, they're walking uh, in dangerous walk- ground. Okay, okay. Yeah. And actually, uh, <laughs> the, the chieftain is correct, right? And these statues are activated. I don't know if the word is activated. I think that's a good word. Yeah. And they start fighting with the Thousand Sons, and they are just, even with all their powers, they're having a hard time. So the Space Wolves join them. You see these two chapters fighting together, and if you have any knowledge of what's going on later, you're like, wow, this is this is so weird. Like, yeah. I always thought it was, you know, um, and the, basically the Space Wolves are helping them because they figure the only way to get them to leave a guru is to help them out. Otherwise, yep, exactly. It's yes. Like they were just going to stand there, right? Let's run your errands so we can get back to real war. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that happens. Of course, they destroy the Titans. It just was an interesting little uh, side scene, but I think it was important because it, it brought the Eldar into it. Um, yes. And so Magnus then, after they destroy the Titans, he leads a combined force of Thousand Sons and Space Wolves into the mountain where the chief, his name is Yatiri, and his Eldars kind of want to placate the dark spirits that are in the middle of this uh, mountain. And they basically sacrifice themselves to these dark spirits. Yes, really yes. They, they essentially, uh, they jump the shark and like jump in the sacrificial pit, which is ultimately the key to unlocking the door, not so much uh, the lock to stop it. So, I mean, you know, this whole story, like they don't come back too much to Agoru, but I really do like the fact that they point out that these legions, as they spread across the galaxy, were experiencing chaos things as we know oh. them and they didn't have a vocabulary to deal with it. Like that's the real takeaway to me. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, at this point, Magnus is having an exposure to chaos forces and his legion is watching him like masterfully wield this stuff and put it down. And I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and so Magnus, so when they sacrifice themselves, this, I guess the word they, they're going to call it, we're going to call it a demon, for lack of a better term, uh, is formed because this demon possesses the chief and it turns him into, you know, a big chaos creature. Mm-hmm. So Magnus is like, okay, I'm in. And there's this big <laughs> swirling vortex of energy and there's dark tentacles everywhere and they're attacking the Marines. And so while Magnus goes into this vortex, he glimpses... Hello, passageways into a vast network. <laughs> yeah. So he sees the Eldar webway. And so it's really kind of interesting because he gets this firsthand vision of the Emperor's Basement Project now. Yes. And yes. You know he wasn't supposed to see this. You know the Emperor did not want him to know about this. Um, but he kind of suspected it um, and he seals it again. Um, he defeats the demon, uh, but the demon, before it goes away, leaves him with this horrific vision of their home planet Prospero just burning, just being in ruin. And uh, <laughs> Magnus kind of tries to ignore it, but he, he knows there's got to be some truth into it because mm-hmm. he's been 
he's been traveling the warp ways for a long time, as it were. Um, yes. So uh, he comes out of the battle and he assures uh, Scarsison and Arman they're done, they're finished. He sealed the portal. Nothing else is going to escape. Um, he confides in Armand, which I thought was interesting. Uh, because, and here's the thing, I, oh, and I'd be interested in your thought about this. Magnus is so different in this part of the book. Like, it, it, it's insane how much he changes yeah. and how fast at one part of the book. But he is so nurturing. He is such a great leader and a father to his sons. Uh, the way he interacts with them, you know, he's very patient and he tries to explain the, the virtue of patience. And yep. um, so he confides to Aramon that he's made this unbelievable discovery. And he's hoping that um, he <laughs> he's he thinks that he can reverse something that's going on with a thousand sons. So why don't you talk about that? that curse kind of that's going on with them. Yeah. So it's, it's part of the legions history that they are magic wielders They're They've always conducted warfare differently. And if they give into their power a bit too much, um, they go undergo something called the flesh change. And the flesh mm. change is, is what we know in now in like Warhammer 40 K is spawned them. Your body can't take all the mm. mutations and the chaotic energy. And so, you kind of just become this beast of roiling mutation and flesh and chaos in real life kind of a thing. Um, pretty brutal stuff, won't lie. It <laughs> doesn't sound fun. Yes. Um, yeah. But this is going rampantly throughout the Legion. No matter how much people try you know, to tamper their skills, it's just it's destroying a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's just... You know, this is the first time, this is the first inkling in this book for me that having, you know, we we did First Heretic and we had uh, Argyll's Hall and the other Marines get this vision about the Emperor's uh, laboratory, you mm -hmm. know, and the fact that he was aware of chaos yeah. and he was aware of how dangerous it was. And yet he created this Primark and that was used to create this legion. Yep. And I just am beyond belief that the emperor didn't know about this flaw. It's almost like he, it feels to me like he built this in almost with them. And it's really, really angers me to think about that because how else could it have happened? I mean, he, he created these Marines. He created these guys from Magnus and they were like their father, you know, he knew what was going to, what they were going to be as a legion. And yet this still happened. So I, I just struggle with that. Yeah. I, I totally understand. Um, I, I guess to me, it's like he views everything or seems to like a tool. And so maybe the thousand sons were a means of like psychic discipline to be able to make really efficient, schools for the other things of magic that they do use like psychers navigating ships like that there is a i don't know i know this might be shocking to you dan i don't know but the um imperium <laughs> has a little problem with hypocrisy and so uh they <laughs> so true and and so even though they're totally scared of psychics 
they use them every single day for the most basic functions and so it's like well can't be too scared i guess i don't know (laughs) yeah sure yep so that's really the end of this first part of the book where you know that scene is done and and magnus makes this little revelation to armon and uh he's hopeful that he can he can reverse the the flesh change well okay yeah. poor, well, poor uh, he only knew yeah i mean uh, magnus had done done work on the flesh change when he was first reunited but they're right. seeing it come back like something happened in this fight and people are like yeah. So I thought you fixed that. So um, he he's he's in a quandary about his own solutions. There's already being doubt being cast about how he knows what he knows. Um, yes, that's true. Which is which is important. Um, so yeah, we'll move on from there. Let's see. We got and so book two is called Mutatis Mutandis, which I had to look up. We were talking before the show, which is. Yeah. A term that's used to describe when you have two groups who are debating the different sides of uh, a decision that needs to be made. It's basically saying that both sides are fully aware of the consequences of either decision that could be made. So it's, it's, yep. it's an earnest discussion, an equal discussion, yep. I guess. Whatever we decide uh, on when we leave here, we're both on board, like... Yes, that's kind of what they're thinking. So uh, so with Agoro finished, the Thousand Sons, they go to join the Space Marines and the Word Bearers, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. uh, in effective compliance in the Arc Reach cluster. Uh, so even though the Thousand Sons, when they re-engage, they're very instrumental in breaking open the enemy's strongholds, there's still a lot of mistrust because, yeah. you know, psychers. <laughs> And, oh, God, it just drives me nuts. And especially since the word bearers end up where they do. It's like, really? Oh, my God. Uh, But they're still, you know, Magnus, you know, they're fighting and uh, he's discussing these things with his brothers. And his deal is that no matter where he goes, he wants to obtain knowledge. Uh, especially like from the human civilization that they're putting into compliance here, I guess it's the Helosians, it's yep. Heliosians, I'm not sure. Um, but he can't like get everything he needs because the space wolves, uh, for their part, whatever they find, they're just going to burn to the ground. It's, yes. it's like gone, right? And the word bearers are at the point in their history where if they destroy they find it and it's incompatible with the imperial truth they're going to burn it to to the ground yeah and 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 this is really important because matters kind of come to an head on the assault on the final enemy stronghold um and there's a fellowship of the thousand sons who are posted outside the great library you know, here Magnus is like, oh, library time and all the books and stuff. And he wants to be able to get in there and find out all this knowledge that's contained in this great library. And the Space Wolves are just like, no, we need to get in there and burn everything. And there's these thousands of sons like, whoa, wait a minute. You're not coming in here. Our Primarch put us here. Mm-hmm. We're going to defend this building. 
and of course the stress of combat and one of the thousand sons like in front of everybody including Lehman Russ undergoes the flesh change yes and you're just like wow that was unexpected to me the way the story was written and how it was everything was flowing i was like oh my god this this is going to be like critical to something else happening right yeah yeah well i mean and magnus is like well time to go kick some ass you know he's just out there like i'm going to defend these books with my life and yeah man man oh man and of course, Magnus and Russ are confronting each other, and they are like, they're ready to just go. You know? yes. And Aramon's standing there going, what the heck is going on, man? Like, yeah, he's like, I'm not a traitor. No. We're not killing each other over this stupid library, guys. Like, everyone just calm right. down. <laughs> and then, interestingly enough, Lorgar arrives, and he's the one who kind of talks these guys down. Mm-hmm. But Lorgar? Really? Yeah, I know. But then but then think about First Heretic where he was very close to Magnus. You know, they had yes. that confab, you know, in the tower and so it kind of makes sense because Magnus would respond to him right away. Oh, for sure. Uh, for but sure. interestingly enough, Lorgar kind of reminds them of their common purpose. You know, everybody calm down. We're here to bring the Emperor's light to to the universe. Mm-hmm. And Lehman Rose kind of backs off, um, but he makes a promise, which, you know, it's kind of like a dwarf grudge, right? And he says, hey, you, I am never, ever going to forget what you just did to me and my legion. Um, and I'm never, never going to forget the things that I just saw happen with your Marines. Yep. And <sighs> that, that uh, you know, rage that you just see inside contained for the moment but man oh man uh yeah yeah, it's just a brutal brutal scene i think for sure and um so is this the point where they head to nikea yeah i think um there's uh you know they the emperor and the lunar wolves have triumphed over um the orcs on Ulanor. Yes. And several of the Primarchs have been summoned to the Triumph. Uh, the Emperor makes his announcement uh, and he's going to pull back, you know. Um, so that's kind of, we're not quite there yet. We've got a couple mm-hmm. of things, I think. Yeah, please, that please. Are, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good because this is part of this, this part of the book. This is part of book two. Uh, because when they're on their way to Ulanor, uh, Aramon, we talked about Lemuel Gammon, who is one of the, or Gammon, who is one of the remembrancers. Yep. Aramon's been instructed to kind of teach Lemuel how to use some of his powers yes. and you know, kind of apprentice him uh, in the use of them. And Aramon actually talks about the story of Prospero, which is very, very interesting and important, I think, because they talked about, or he talked to Gauman about how the original native inhabitants were almost wiped out by these, they're almost like, think of them as giant mosquitoes. They're called Sinuan. Yep. And they're psychic predators. Yes. So basically they, they feed by psychically implanting a 
a uh, what is it a seed or a kind of a larva into the brain of someone and this larva obviously grows and erupts and creates another cynoin and the um the people really weren't able to defend themselves it took magnus arriving on the planet um they they kind of kept themselves in these dome cities so even though they were psychic they the the cynoin where they kept them out but once he arrived Boom, man, he was, you know, he was like, they. he was t- mastering every single psychic thing that the people could teach him. He was surpassing all the masters. And then he ended up um, kind of going outside and they're like, whoa, don't go out there. He confronted just a horde of these Sinuan. Um, mm-hmm. And he, this is kind of the start of the the fellowships, you know, because with him were all the leading masters of the different psychic disciplines. Each one of them, as you talked before, used a different part of their abilities to defeat the Sinuan. And all of a sudden everything changed on Prospero Mm -hmm. because they had overcome this horrific predator. Um, And, you know, this is kind of, uh, the masters who were there ended up becoming the founders of each of the various fellowships. Yes, uh, within the thousand sums themselves, um, and yeah, so that's kind of interesting uh, that that part of the story was told because we really don't understand that part of how Prospero was there. And the Sinuan piece is important. <laughs> yeah, when the remembrance turn. Yeah, we have that a in your pocket. That, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so. Um, so they get to Ulanor, Doug, and yes, um, Magnus is really because remember we talked about how calm he is and how he just tries to get along with everybody. He's very, um, you know, very balanced person. He's really surprised and offended when several of his brothers, and this is the just you talked about the hypocrisy. You just want to put this giant H on Montarian's head, right? Yep, and. So Mortarian accuses him of being sorcerer, of his legion being sorcerers. And he says that their powers are unclean. And I'm going, oh, God. Like, really? Yeah, exactly. This guy, sure. this is the guy who's going to critique me. Right. Right. Of course, civility, you know. Yep. Magnus maintains his, his cool. Um and he's there when Magnus appoints Horus as the war master. Uh, he tells his sons, you know, basement project time. And uh, peace out. <laughs> but Magnus kind of knows what's going on. Yeah. Because he yep. saw the network. And he's like, okay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he's the one guy. But he's like, well, why aren't we talking about it? He's just very perplexed. He's like. Because the emperor was like, "Hey, you don't research this. Let me worry about it," and basically told Magnus to like ignore it. It's like, but yeah, but you made super soldiers for this exact reason. <laughs> to you know, I mean, you know, to uh, what's the word? Delegate. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's just really interesting because the emperor has conversation with Magnus and that kind of thing. So. That's what happens on Ulanor. So now the timeline kind of accelerates a few months later. And this is much less celebratory than the meeting on Ulanor. Oh, yes. And it takes place on a planet called Nikea. 
And the emperor is hearing accusations that the Thousand Sons are dabbling in dangerous and forbidden practices. There are a lot of the primarchs, including Mortarian and Lehman Roos, uh, who denounce Magnus's powers. But it's really cool that primarchs like the Khan for the White Scars, Sanguinius, who everybody just, you know, he's the man. There's nothing evil about the librarians. No. You know, there's nothing wrong with their powers only in how they're used. And, and they're, they're having this debate, right? Mm-hmm. Magnus makes this incredible speech, and it's a really cool part of the book where he defends the librarius project, you know, for every chapter to have this. Um, and he urges, strongly urges the emperor not to impede the search for knowledge. And you're going, well, this this is going pretty good. I, yeah. I think this is going to be okay. If you, And if you didn't know what we know, <laughs> yep. you'd be like, hey, I think this is going to be all right. Yeah. Didn't but know we needed to happens, defend this. They kind of sprung it on him, but all right. <laughs> but what happens at the end of the council? Well, at the end, um, the emperor confides with his people and then ultimately decrees the use of sorcery is just too much for humanity right now. We don't need the accusations. We don't need the possibility of threats. So he comes down that all of the librarious enclaves in the legions are meant to be broken down. That its members are meant to be spread across the entirety of the legion so that they can't communicate and work together anymore. Um, and then there's going to be no further study into this, uh, with the exception of stuff like travel, which, I mean, everyone acknowledged pretty openly. We, we use these things every single day, um, you know, but, uh, and this absolutely, it drove Magnus irate because you're essentially like asking the thousand sons to cut off their left hand, right? It, it's an extension of their mind, their body, all of it. And you it just is, got told no. You know, it is it is their culture. It is yes. just it is so important to them more than any other space marine legion. This would like be going to Emperor's children and saying, You can no longer use melee weapons. You can only yep. shoot. Yep. And they would look at you like, What? Yeah. Like no, this is what we do, right? And you're going it just it's just infuriating. Uh, and one of the things I think is interesting to talk about is this prohibition, interestingly enough, does not apply to the space wolves and white scars. And you're going, well, they have, no, no, they don't have psychers. They don't have psychers. They have rune priests and they have stormcaller guys in the white scars. These guys are actually using more organic more natural kind of you know it's kind of a a spirit kind of a thing it's not the warp it's not the warp it's different yeah and so yeah keep saying looking at yourself going (laughs) what really (laughs) yeah yeah, it's it's cool those two legions yeah it's all right yeah because it's different right there the nature of their powers are different okay sure yeah um they're not in case you're curious and, <laughs> they're the same yeah. thing they it's just like yes. it's just uh they built it into their culture and mythos more than the thousand sons i guess i don't know they made it funny 
Well, and see, that's the thing that it's you bring up a great point. It's no it's no less important in terms of their culture and their organization of their legions than it is the Thousand Sons. It's part of who they are mm-hmm. as a legion. You take the room priests out, you remove the some of the most important characters in both the Space Wolves and White Scars, White Scars in particular. There's a, there's a a storm priest, or I can't remember the the. Do you remember the the term for oh, the? Um, is it Stormcaller? Uh, storm, something like that. Yeah, they're they're psychers. Um, there's White one Scar character priests. in there that's just yeah, just they are so. This guy was so important to their history, um, but. Yeah, it, it just drives you mad. And, of course, it drove Magnus mad uh, in, in a couple of ways. But interestingly enough, and this is a thing that's um, interesting, is before the emperor renders his decision, Magnus gets this vision. And it shows him that Horus is going to betray the emperor. Yes. You're going, whoa, wow. Wow, like Magnus knows yep. that something is going to happen. And, and his visions are always reliable. You can say it's manipulation, but you know that all the visions he's had are accurate. You know, the one he had of Prospero burning, the one he had of the webways, those are all things that existed. So this one is the same, you know. Yeah, um, and it's, this is important for putting the timeline together of Horace's downfall um, mm-hmm. in, in particular that like, some of this was known so far in advance, but the mm. the ways in which people tried to stop it just all failed. Everything failed. Yeah, yeah, and um, there's one more revelation yes, here please. in this part of the book that, that's really important. So again, Magnus and Armand have this private conversation as they had before, and. Armon like reaches out for his father and all of a sudden he gets this vision and he sees something. He's not quite sure what it is, but he sees that Magnus kind of made a deal. Yes. And it was supposed to prevent the flesh change. So <laughs> as you stated earlier, that incident um, on Heliosa suggests that this deal that Magnus cut might not have actually been as good as he thought it was. But now Aramon is aware of it. And that's really important in the story. Mm -hmm. I want to pause here real quick. Just, I mean, but not, not pause the podcast, (laughs) but like it's hard to articulate with all these different stories, the themes that are coming to light from the start till now with all this, there's a lot of exposition in this book. They just, they're giving you the story of the thousand sons, but within that are conversations from these various characters of people who are desperately trying to be good. And they only know one way to do it, which is use psychic powers. And the conversation that has been built is that they are fundamentally broken, which they are, but there's sort of a trickle down of personalities. And I, I listened to an interview with John French who wrote the Araman series in 40 K. And there's this mm. idea that all the thousand sons are the core theme is I do the sins of my father. The emperor oh. cre- you know, has all these things and decided in his arrogance to not share the information with his children. Magnus 
knew more was out there. And this is all being pieced together. But in his arrogance, he doesn't warn the Thousand Sons or tell them. Aramon, mm. in his arrogance, like it's just, it's over and over and over again. And so we're building those themes. I just wanted to throw that in there because it doesn't, it doesn't come across important. in a list of events, but it's happening. <laughs> yes, I think that's that's great exposition. That's great uh, background. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank so that you. is um, very. Yeah. It's very helpful when we come to the end. You know. So. Yeah, and you know there uh, are other books just I, to point it out here that cover the Council of Nikea, and there is all kinds of intrigue. There are assassins who are trying to manipulate votes. Um, there's just it's crazy what happened and. There's a lot more to that tale. <laughs> right. Uh, but this gives you the idea of mm-hmm. what, and why, and, and the result, the resulting uh, piece of that. So um, now we move on to book three, which is Prospero's Lament, for obvious reasons, uh, which we will discuss. So the Thousand Sons after the Crusade, or after the, the Edict of Nikea, kind of withdrew from the Crusade. Because what were they? How could they contribute if they could just be space marines? You know, okay, fine, but that's not their strength. The space marines are great, just being space marines, but that's not where the strength of this legion lied. And so they went back to Prospero, and um, so during this time, Magnus he saw the heresy coming, and. <laughs> He he tried. He made an earnest attempt to try to save Horace yes. from falling. Which we saw. Um, we recall, which we saw, right, in the temple on Davin, right? Uh, he tried to reach out to his brother, but, um, <laughs> yeah, not happening. So uh, it's just, it's so, I just, again, continue to find it sad because, as you just said, even though they were flawed, they were doing – they were, were not doing this out of hubris. No. They were doing this because they thought it was the right thing to do. It was the right way to to be who they were as the Thousand Sons. Um, the other thing that is just crazy about this is that um, <laughs> Magnus knows what's going on and – he why don't you talk about the trigger event i guess that's what it is what really sets everything off here oh yeah so at this point magnus is kind of having the conversation with some of his higher echelon Armand included okay here's what's going on Horace uh, horus is going to betray and we need to warn the emperor and initially they're like well how do we do that um, they can't quite figure it out because mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be using warp powers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Magnus makes the case that he is going to basically use the webway that he discovered. Um, one of those exits, he deduces, has to be on Terra because that's where the Emperor retreated to do his work, <laughs> which is pretty good logic. And um, yeah. he says, you know, Aramon is arguing this entire time. It must be stated Aramon tried to be the best of the good guys in this entire story. <laughs> he was trying yes. so hard. Um, but uh, ultimately, Magnus says, I don't want to play telephone across the cosmos, you know, and Brad broadcast this stuff. And, and so I'm just going to go personally, which is stupid. Um, just going to throw that out there. 
there's yeah. there's no reason you can't just put an SOS and pass it, you know, whatever. But um, he enters the webway, and in doing so, he basically takes on a, a sort of a psychic form uh, that is makes it easier for him to navigate the space. And he rips open a new butthole to the bottom of the Himalayan mountains when he comes out on Earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, essentially, when Magnus busts through, a whole bunch of demons come out as well. The mechanisms that the Emperor, priceless things that could not be rebuilt, uh, that were meant to allow the Emperor to open the realm, ga- uh, sorry, the webway stably, were all annihilated, and Magnus had, in a moment, doomed humanity to always using uh, the warp for travel because now he's let demons into the webway. Mm-hmm. And so yep. he he messes up. He sees it immediately. Him and the Emperor just kind of stare at each other for a while because I don't think he had any idea what to say. Um, and so the inciting incident was that he destroyed this machine and doomed mankind to always use the warp is probably the short of it Mm -hmm. and he knew that there was going to be hell to pay for it yes um and um the other thing that happens here two other things that happen really is one uh that he realizes that he is not in control of the warp like he thought he was uh and the warp actually starts speaking to him now he's starting to get the voices yeah Basically, hey, you know what? You've been a pawn ever since the time you tried to save your legion for the flesh change. Um, even longer, perhaps, that you've been manipulated by the great manipulator Zinch. We you know, we know who this is, of course, um, even though we don't know who it is in the story. So, uh, and Magn- the other part of this is that Magnus absolutely descends into a horrific depression. And he is just like, I screwed up. I totally screwed up. I am just going to wait for my father to come for me. And so the emperor, of course, is ticked off as he is. He sends a sanctioned fleet of the space wolves. Plus he sends custodians and sisters of silence because he's going to be dealing with the psychic legion. Yeah. I heard uh, the rumors. To basically bring Magnus back for judgment. He doesn't want to kill him. He doesn't want to destroy anything. He just wants to send this fleet and bring Magnus back. Well, of course, Horus, who is now corrupted, um, and being the grand strategist that he is, he sees an opportunity here. So he contacts Lehman Roos, who doesn't understand what's going on and doesn't know that Horus has turned, and convinces him that Returning Magnus to Terra would just be a waste of time. Yep. Don't do that. Um, and the um, he knows that if Magnus, he's convinced Russ that if he leaves Prospero alive, it will just be bad. And so yeah. Russ gets him, is, gets him all pumped for a fight. He's he's the war master. Yep. And Lehman Russ, not to his fault, I don't think at all, is like, okay, yep. That that's what we're gonna do. You're the war master, mm-hmm. so I know what the emperor told me. But this is kind of you always follow your latest orders first. You know that's kind of the the thing in the military. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, this is my latest order. I'm gonna follow this one, uh, and so on we go, and we come to 
the sanctioned fleet arriving in the Prospero system. Mm-hmm. And the sad part, I think, about this again is that Magnus was just like done. He literally sent his fleet away from the system. So yep. it wasn't going to defend Prospero. He shut down all the orbital defenses. Yep. And he basically wrapped the Prospero in this kind of cocoon that kept the legions from and all the defense because they had human defense forces, you know, just like an auxilia uh, planetary defense force. They couldn't communicate with each other. The only place that was protected at all was uh, Tiska, which is the capital city. Uh, and this is where, again, you talked about Aramon. Man, he is he is just the good man to me, Doug. And he's like, just absolutely. He's like, you can almost see him shaking Magnus, like, Father, you got to do something. Yeah. And it, it finally comes to the point where um, the Thousand Sons have, you know, held Tiska, and, um, but they, they can't. They have to do something because you have all these forces coming in here and Aramon is basically taking control of the Legion. He is assumed yeah. leadership of his Legion and his brothers. And I just have so much admiration for him understanding what that something needed to be, uh, be done and, and being that leader because Magnus has absolutely abdicated all responsibility at this point for the fate of his own sons. And that was just something that drove me mad. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because, like, we've had, um, unbeknownst to these guys so far in the heresy, Primarchs have died, right? Like the, uh, is it the Iron mm-hmm. Iron Hands? Right, Iron Hands, yeah. Yep. Perturabo. Yep. Um, not Perturabo. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so like no, we had, we've had... Yeah. A... So the Iron Hands, yeah, uh, Magnus. Ferris Magnus. Ferris Magnus, Magnus thank it's... you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I get all my oh, good. generic guys in black all messed up Primarchs, yeah. Good. um but you know, we've had primarchs die but not be disowned by their legion like that's different of magnus is saying i'm gonna sit here and just die because i deserve this and all of the leaders are like well maybe that's what you're gonna do um i'm not doing that like <laughs> and you know because they can't reconcile we did the right thing and because magnus kept telling them we're doing the right thing we're doing the right thing and then it turned out they weren't doing the right thing. <laughs> so, no. um, when when Russ arrives, I don't I don't know where you are in terms of the storyline. I wanted to point out when the, when the space wolves come, um, they do not come in a way that is may, meant for peace. Uh, they oh, barrel into the system full steam ahead. The guns are ripping. They initially, they really just wanted to like level all of Tizka before they even step foot on the ground. And so they yes, throw off this huge barrage of weapons. Kind shields are going up all over the place. And essentially the Thousand Suns protected the city, even though everything outside of that particular city on Prospero <laughs> was annihilated and wiped away in the first volley. Like it's never going to support yep. life. It was just doomed. Um, which is so different from... The Emperor, for example, bringing the word bearers to heal over their problems, mm. which is like they had an orderly evacuation of the whole city to like 
teach them a lesson. This is like, I'm coming back with your head. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. I just wanted to point it at that out. So please continue. No, I think that's important. I, I do. That this is so unique uh, in terms of the way it was handled. Uh, and again, you know, it wasn't the way the emperor wanted it handled. Let's, no. No, let's no, no, give no. him some small bit of credit, which is what he deserves. But he, he wanted Magnus just brought back. And Russ is doing what space wolves do. They just burn to the ground. It's all scorched earth. And uh, this battle just continues to go on. The description of the battle is just unbelievably cool. Just Did, you see, like you said, these kind shields being thrown up. You see Sisters of Silence trying to come in and, uh, you know, do stuff. But then, you know, to neutralize the psychic powers but then the Thousand Sons have something else that deals with the sisters. You see custodians coming in, and you see the Thousand Sons just holding them back and crushing them. And it's like you want, you almost want the way the story is. It's kind of like the Alamo. You know, you want to you want to take the side of the guys inside the Alamo. They're fighting for their lives. It's a last stand kind yep. of thing. And the way it's written, it's I think it's very difficult, even if you're a Space Wolves fan. To not admire, <laughs> I know the, the way the Thousand Sons held out against this force that was against them. Uh, even there was one really interesting thing was there was an old Titan that was preserved in Titska, and it still kind of had its the way I see it anyway is it's like its top half was still there and it had active weapons and stuff. Yeah, it was and like it a was decommissioned tank. Like a, Right, yeah, it was kind of like a bunker, but it was fighting and shooting, and you're like, this is so amazing in terms of a heresy battle description. It was really, really cool. Yeah, um, uh, I, I I thought that I had ahead. read this book, but I hadn't. What I had read was the Black Library. I'm sorry, not Black Library. The Forge World um, campaign book for this, which yes. is it is the same like literal information, but told in a kind of a different format, but. I mean, folks, if you don't know anything about these factions, Space Wolves are riding around on motorcycles and their heads get lopped off because Thousand Suns <laughs> put up invisible wires with mine bullets and just let them drive through it. There's, um, They have, like, internally in their own city network a, a mini version of the webway. Like, they can just, like, yeah. shadow passes. So they're just, like feigning retreats popping up behind them like the space wolves have no freaking clue like what's going on yes. it's so cool oh yes um, it is one of the good. one of the i think it's the pavoni we talked about who do the body chemistry stuff mm -hmm. man some of the things they were doing the custodians like oh my god and it's just insane like custodians are supposed to be unbeatable and yet these pavoni were just like boiling their blood or doing something to them and you're going it's just these guys are amazing <laughs> yes yeah and, uh it's kind of like at the end of the movie like transformers with michael bay where like you kind of it's you have to wait till the end to see all the robots actually fighting which is what you paid the ticket for this is right. this is uh true. the 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 finale where like the thousand suns show you exactly why they are the greatest weapon ever. Like they just go full Super That's, Saiyan. <laughs> it is so, so cool. Mm -hmm. And 
eventually, after we, we dig through all these, if you don't read any other part of this book, you have to find the part of the book where this battle happens because it is the absolute coolest part of the book in terms of action, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, but finally, finally, Magnus awakes himself from his funk and he says, okay, I have to get out there. I have to, I screwed up again. I have to get out there, save my sons. And there is this, very, very cool one-on-one -on -one battle between Lehman Roos and, uh, and Magnus. Yeah. And, and you know what happens when a book uh, nerd goes against a jock? <laughs> it doesn't end well for the, for the book nerd. No, does it? it doesn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so we come to the point where Magnus is, see, he's, he's broken. Russ has broken. Magnus is back like he's, he's severed his spine almost yes and he's about to kill him and finally Magnus acknowledges these voices that he's been hearing they've been telling him that he needs to use his sorceress powers to their maximum effect and he literally at this point just takes his entire legion and himself, and he just poofs them. It's just like, poof, and they're all, they just all disappear. Yep. And you're going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, it, it, can you imagine the look on all these loyalists, like the Space Wolves, the Custodians, and the Sisters? Just imagine the look on their faces when this entire, what's remaining, it's about, 12, 1,300,000 sons, something in that, I think the yeah. book says. It, they're what's left. Um, but they're just all gone. Yep. And you're like, oh, my God. I, we've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mass teleportation magic and stuff, like, yeah. And all it does to the Space Wolves is confirm, like, oh, yeah, they're into dark powers and stuff. It's like, <laughs> man, there is so much going on. Oh, so that's the end of that part of the story. But it's interesting that we also get a little, uh, we get a view into what, where they go. And uh, it's about, like we said, about 1,200,000 sons that have kind of made this etheric journey. Uh, yep. They don't really know where Magnus went because they arrive on this planet Magnus is nowhere to be seen. And can you imagine being one of the thousand sons and all of a sudden you're just there with a whole bunch of your brothers just kind of looking around. They're all just a thousand space marines just looking around like where the heck are we? Yep. We, we have no idea. We have no references. The sky is purple and flashing lightning and you're just like, wow, this, this is insane. Like <laughs> – yeah. No. What what's going on? And uh right. Yeah, and and um for those of you who are, are new <laughs> uh to the lore, essentially what happened was Magnus made a pact with Zinch and was like, Fine, you can take control. You can be, you know, a control of, of me and my sons and so it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the basics for someone who's totally yes. new. And so yes. the entire Legion gets sucked in, but uh Armand does make it clear that the Flesh change is like now rampant. Like they are all twisting oh. and, and having a real bad time of it. So he is working towards that end. Right. And 
uh, on this planet, what eventually happens is this giant obsidian tower rises from the surface. And who do you think stop, pops out of it? It's our buddy Magnus. He appears to his legion. He basically says, welcome, my sons, to the planet of the sorcerers. It's kind of like, welcome, everybody, to the big top. You yeah, know? exactly. What? And it, then he does this. And he goes back into his tower. And all the while, as you just stated, slowly the flesh changes. You know, it's, I think, again, like, just in the short time they're there, like a hundred of the space Marines have succumbed, something like that to the flesh change. There's one individual who Aramon, I remember um, in the story, like he knows this guy was a librarian in one of the Tiska libraries and he is coming towards him. And all of a sudden he turns around and he sees like these eye stalks popping out of the guy. And he just sees them. As you said, he he's becoming a spawn yeah. and right in front of him. And it's just horrific the way um, what Oramon sees. And the, the crazy thing is that, again, Magnus, he did his thing. He made his announcement. He goes back to his tower. And Aramon is the only one who seems to have the strength and strength of will that's needed to solve this flesh change and figure out what's going on with the Legion. Like he is the yep. leader of the thousand sons at this point. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to go work on this super cool pet project. I think I'll call it the rubric, <laughs> which is, yeah, if you yes. don't know, that's how the thousand sons become what we know them as in, uh, in 40 K the rubric spell. Yep. The rubric Marines. That's what they're literally, I think in the codex they're called it. Yep. That. Yep. Um, yep. So, and we know what happens. The book doesn't really discuss what happens. This, this is kind of the end of it. Uh, but no, but I think man, because Aramon is such a big character in 40k, I think it does a great job of like punting up his stories, like I had mentioned with John French. Yes, it's it's a great without pulling you too much away from the story of the Thousand Sons in the Heresy era. I think it does a really good yeah. job of of kind of just giving you a direction. And if you are interested in this story and you read or listen to the book and Aramon is a character of interest to you, then you have a whole, I think it's like five or six books now that John French has written about Aramon um, post-heresy. And they're all just excellent. And yep. you, once you read or listened to this book, you really, I think, for me, he's one of my favorite 40K characters. I don't care that he is... Uh, you know, a, a trader Marine. I don't care. It's just because he, it, it, just the way he is, just who he is and what he's trying to do, he's not really evil. Any any more evil, Doug, than the Emperor yeah. and all the things that he's done. Or you think about all of the things that the Imperium becomes post-heresy and just the way millions or billions of people are treated you know as they live in these ant hills that are hive cities and they work in these manufactoriums and all this stuff like yep. is Aramon really any worse than no. any of that stuff going on no he's and, a bad you know they're all bad people trying to carve out their own version of good so it's like well yeah that doesn't yeah. excuse anything he still does bad things no. but like <laughs> no 
No. Um, he is a very sympathetic and tragic villain, and I think they nailed that. Whereas I think the more I read about Magnus, I was like, this guy, this guy huffs his own farts. Like, he's so all up his own business. <laughs> oh, gosh. And it was interesting. I ended up reading at some point the Magnus Primark book. I haven't read them all, but I read that one. And again, he was so different in this book. Yeah. That he ends up in, in his Primark book, that he ends up in Thousand Sons. And you go, what happened to that other character? Yep. Like, Armand kind of has stayed the same throughout everything. But Magnus just literally, it's like he shed this skin. It's almost like there was a demon inside of him. And just, you could see his skin splitting and something else stepping out. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he, he very just, much throughout the book, like, was this nice, caring character, like you talked about before. But. I think the minute he realized things were beyond him, like he was he was cool and nice as long as he knew everything and everybody else was a student. But the minute he yep. realized like, oh, I don't have control over this, things went real hard south. Like <laughs> he had already gotten himself into his over his head and yeah. And one of the things as many of the traitor primarchs did is he eventually becomes a demon Primarch. He yes. changes very drastically and becomes the Magnus you all know and love in 40K. Yeah. Um, and he, very shortly after this, just if we could talk about that. Uh, Please. It's only, say shortly, it's a couple thousand years after the heresy. He comes back and he makes his first attempt at, destroying the fang and destroying the space wolves he actually invades fenris yep. uh it's there's a book called the battle of the fang which is really really good which again is very post heresy it's not 40k it's many many thousands of years before that but um he he's like hey you know what i got all these powers now i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna just smack these wolves around and do the same thing to Fenris that they did to Prospero. Yep. I mean, that's really his his motivation is. It's all revenge. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, he just, because he he tried to hold on to be the good guy for so long, and now he's yeah, just like, ah, screw that. That got me nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no even tiny trace of that left in him anymore. No. There just isn't. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, and and so much of like you know one of the subplots was you had mentioned um, that they were trying to teach humans how to use their psychic powers, their latent ones, and he was doing so many things that was like you know we got to think about the next step of humanity, and which is is good. Like I don't feel like a lot of others were, and then he just got mm -hmm. lost in it. So let me ask you, I got two hard questions for you, Dan. Sure. Did Magnus do anything wrong? Absolutely, he did. Okay. And then second question, Absol and this is the hard part, was he right to do it? <laughs> That's a great question. You know what I mean? He did the wrong thing, right. but was he right? Did he do what he thought was right? So so this is one of those, Doug, is it the right thing for the wrong thing reason or the wrong thing for the right reason? That's what you're asking me here. Basically. Uh, yeah, okay. So I think... He did the wrong thing. I think he, and I say that because I think he knew it was wrong before he did it. Mm. I think it was his hubris 
and his arrogance that made him think that he could be the hero, that he could save the Imperium if he did this. To your point, it was I think it was a very selfish act in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. It doesn't maybe seem that way at first, but I think doing what he did and there are other books that you you know will talk about perhaps in the heresy where the resonance of this uh, i remember one of the books was about a psychic choir that was on terra when magnus appeared <laughs> and okay. the things that happened to just literally tens of thousands of psychers mm -hmm. on that planet and and all over terra when he appeared, but he just was, I don't think that he was unaware of what the consequences might be in terms of, you know, physically what the consequences might be when he did what he did and, and he still did it, you yeah. know, and that's just what's crazy about it. Well, um, my thought on that was like, if he, whether he knows, what the effects of his actions are or not that just proves the point if he knows it and still does it that's a problem because uh, you don't have the it, right to make that choice but if you don't know that that was going to happen that proves the point that we were dabbling in things that like are beyond our understanding and we need to stop right um and you know he, he pushed like the Thousand Sons as Space Marines were just a magnificent weapon. They were a magnificent legion. They did not do what he did. You know, they always, like you talked about the enumerations, you know, getting up to the ninth enumeration, the highest one I think it was, was that was a goal. They wanted to keep continuing to improve their skills. You know, like any professional, you want to keep advancing yourself and bettering yourself professionally. That's what they were trying to do. But they never... I don't think, and I didn't read it in the book, where they were trying to get this totally out of control level of knowledge that Magnus was always looking for. Even Aramon, when he talked to his father and said, "Oh, you know, you've traveled the Imperium, you've traveled the ether, and blah blah blah," Magnus was like, uh, "No, that's for me to do. You keep working on your little enumerations, you know." Yeah. Um, it, it, they were in some ways to me very innocent compared to their Primarch and yes. they were using, you know, and, and um, this is one like it's, it's a, they're guilty, but they, they didn't stand a chance. I mean, they were told, Hey, the flesh change is fixed and everyone kind of took that at face value. And cause Magnus mm -hmm. wouldn't tell anybody. It's like, so they're already, they've already crossed the line before they ever started the race. And you're like, they didn't have a chance <laughs> and everyone is so good. Right. And like the characters, yeah. really, there's some character flaws and stuff. Of course, some of them are more aggressive, but oh, sure. none of them oh, deserve sure. what they got. And Oh, well, you know, I don't know. No. I think no. Magnus did, but uh, for me, I'm going to say he did the wrong thing, but for the right reason. Um, okay. But I still feel like, I don't truly sympathize with Magnus because there are things that are clearly in the book that it's like, okay, if you didn't want anyone to get hurt, you would have been in a space shuttle waiting for Russ to arrive, like with your chains. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have had to go in your mm -hmm. Prospero. You would have turned yourself in if that's what you wanted. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just other things like that where it's like he could have done some, he, there's a million things he could have done better, but he chose this and 
all of those things have consequences and he kept saying like the consequences are mine it's like that is stupid <laughs> they were always yeah. going to be for everybody yes you know it yes. doesn't make any sense when, when i read that i was like oh, what a moron I, I have bosses that have said that before to me and you're like yeah no man you run a whole department we're all in trouble if you get something wrong Mm-hmm. So, yeah yeah absolutely that's my rant. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. I I agree with that. Um, yeah, Magnus screwed up, and his legion paid for it. You know, yep. and that that's the sad part. But it's such a just, compelling some story. Amazing characters. Yeah, it's it's the ultimate tragedy um, for a lot of reasons. And um, one of the things, just as a, a quick side note, we, we haven't talked about the remembrancers who are part of the story very much. No. One of the things we mentioned, those Sinu and those psychic predators, um, the, they part of their story is that one of them uh, ends up being infected by a Sinuan mm -hmm. when they went back to Prospero. And um, this the way that the Marines handled it uh, Lemuel and the sur other survivor were like totally turned off to the thousand sons. At that point, they admired them and they respected them. Um, and it's just weird. I think it, it, so. If people listen or read the story, I don't think that that was a very, I don't think it was a very useful part of the story. I'm just going to give that my feedback because the thousand sons again were doing what they thought was right and for these humans to try to place some kind of judgment on the actions of these guys, it just seemed kind of weird in the story. And it seemed, it seemed very judgmental and inappropriate given their lack of perspective. You yeah. Know? I, I definitely, um, the human parts in this, like in Mechanicum, the human elements I felt like played into the themes oh. of the overall story very well. And here I was like, this this all needs to be cut out. Like this book could have been, it would have actively been better if a lot of this was gone. <laughs> Which you know, I mean, that's yeah. that's just a part of writing. It's killing your darlings, and and Gap Thorpe himself has talked about that, I believe. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's just it, was, it wasn't my jam for a lot of it. Yeah, and I think you're right. You know, if they had not even had that part of the story with them, it would have been fine. It would have still been a great story. Mm -hmm. so but it is what it is it's in writing and it's part of the story and there we go it is what it is all right cool uh, yeah any other thoughts before we close it out no, just that i really think uh given the the rollover and the uh part of the thousand sons that come into 40k i think this is a great book to read or listen to to get that, you can obviously read it in the codex because the story will be in there. But this, I think, gives you a lot better uh, perspective on who these these guys are, yeah, and yeah. who their why and who their primark is what he is. You know, yeah, I give it high praise, even even with the parts that I think would be better left out, because if you it's not often that with Games Workshop books, I feel genuinely like you could pick up this one book and walk away knowing a an inordinate amount of that faction's lore. Like, usually you have to kind of source all around. And this is sure. one where I just felt sure. like, like, this is the Thousand Sons book. You will buy this and you will love it. And, and even if you don't want to play them, 
you will learn everything you need to know to be a competent, you know, conversationist to it about them. So I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, friends. Um, okay. I will go ahead and close this out then. Thank you so much everyone for listening. And if you would like to leave us some feedback or have a discussion, please do uh, leave a comment over on two plus tough YouTube and I will be helping out over there. And, uh, Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in this week. But um, Absolutely. our next book is going to be Prospero Burns, right? Yes. Yes. So we're going to talk about a lot of the same events, but from a different perspective, which is very important in the Horace Heresy context. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, friends, I'll talk to you next time. Until then, the Emperor protects.